This is the CIIS Public Programs Podcast, featuring talks and conversations recorded live by the Public Programs Department of California Institute of Integral Studies, a nonprofit university located in San Francisco on unceded Ramatoshaloni land. Through our programming, we strive to amplify the voices of those who have historically been underrepresented. To find out more about CIIS and public programs like this one, visit our website, ciis.edu, and connect with us on social media at CIIS Pub Programs. Thank you. Thank you very much uh, for welcoming me here again. Uh, we have once again um, uh, gathered to take a look at at the heavens and get a sense for you know where what the what the major archetypal dynamics are of the time it's been nine months since uh since we were um since i came to you in the same forum uh it was in april right after the the lockdown uh of um produced by the uh, the pandemic uh <clears throat> here in the united states uh had had fully clicked in and first in march and then by by later April, by the time we we uh, sat down for this, uh, we were deep into it, and uh, I I did this talk tonight will uh, both be in continuity with what I presented there and uh, will you know to some extent build build on it. But I but I also want to uh, I imagine a good number of you who who are here tonight um, or who are watching this in future. Uh, recordings or listening to it would have been there um, uh, uh, listen to the early earlier one but uh, I want this to also stand uh, as an independent um, presentation so to some extent I'm going to you know uh, cover um, overlap with what what I did last time particularly in order to uh, get across the <clears throat> the larger frame of reference and you know, the big picture is one in which, I mean, we could see at that point um, the archetypal astrological perspective uh, that uh, so many of us have been doing research in and, um, you know, exploring and teaching and learning. Uh, we, it was very clear uh, looking ahead by most astrologers years ago that 2020 was going to be a very, very demanding year. Uh, and um, so it, that those demands had already fully kicked in by last spring, and it didn't really let up. And uh, I remember when, you know, I, I, I did the best I could to kind of frame what we were going through. Uh, the it's It's almost as if the the great planetary transits that we're we're going through right now are almost like tailor made for um, constellating a great moral crisis and transformation. Um, yes, political, social, ecological, um, uh, epidemiological—all uh, those. Yes, uh, psychological, spiritual. Um, but at a, there are certain elements in the um, 
convergence of transits that took pl place over this past year that uh, par particularly brought up the extent to which human uh, moral agency and capacity for uh, ethical discernment and for, in a sense, uh, reality testing and uh, and courage to meet the, the demands that were unfolding during this year. In all these respects, <clears throat> it's as if the, the, our, the, the planetary transits were kind of designed, as it were, for uh, constellating something that would you know, to some extent require a, a, a heroic response by many people. And uh, I mean, clearly a heroic response was, was mounted by many people uh, uh, from the uh, people who work on the front lines of the, of the medical profession, in the hospitals, uh, in all sorts of uh, healthcare professional um, ways. Uh, that's one huge uh, part of it. And then uh, those that here in the United States, where a good number of my, you who uh, will be viewing this or are watching this are from the United States, um, will be aware of just what a, a, a terrific uh, mass effort it was uh, to engage the the election the campaign uh election day itself which i almost felt was like a kind of d-day of clashing armies that uh had uh been you know in this case uh tens and like 70 plus million people uh on each side um Shaping not only the, the, the future of, the, uh, of who's going to be in power in the United States, but to some extent, as many, many people recognize, um, affecting the long-term prospects of our, of our planetary, of our Earth community, um, the decisions being made uh, in positions of power that to, and those in Washington, D.C. in particular, uh, just having uh, tremendous um, consequence for for the larger uh, uh, Earth community. Um, my sense is, I mean, what we what we could see at that time uh, a year ago was just that the energies that had been building up over the uh, over the last. Um, 10 or more years under the Uranus Pluto square, that kind of um, 60s French revolutionary uh, mass, tremendous uh, energies of radical change, etc., uh, and em emancipatory impulses and rebellious and defiant impulses and, and uh, very disruptive energies as well, technological advance. All those were coming to a a climax at the very end of that long Uranus-Pluto square with the uh, arrival of Saturn into the configuration. And I'm going to take a, <clears throat> a, a moment here to, to just show you visually uh, what that looks like, um, as I did last time, 
But in this case, I'm going to first um, share my screen and show you an image that uh, has uh, that that shows the three main <clears throat> excuse me the three main um, uh, planetary alignments that have converged at this time, particularly like 2020, 2021. These are the peak years of it. It was coming in already in 2018, 2019, as Saturn came into the conjunction with Pluto. And now in um, that conjunction with Pluto is still there with Saturn. I'll, I'll kind of unpack the archetypal dimensions of that in a minute, the meanings, the qualities, uh, the phenomena that we see. Uh, that's still going for approximately another year, but uh, coming in this past year was also the Saturn square to Uranus, which is now in this year at its most um, uh, intense form. So I want to just convey that to you with this, this handy um, uh, graphic that was put together by uh, a, a colleague of mine who is... Um, uh, Kyle Johnson. So there you can see, um, starting roughly in 2007, um, just before the both the uh, uh, beginning of the presidency of Obama, but also uh, just at, at the time of the, um, the 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 beginning of the of, the, of things like the Prague, uh, the <laughs> the Arab Spring, the uh, the Occupy movements, and so forth but also the great financial meltdown. Um, and this was the last time that Saturn was, was lined up right here at the 2008, 9, 10 uh, uh, period when the, the global financial crisis hit. And so that, that Uranus square Pluto has been going on for this entire time and is now just, just moving out of orb. And this is the, uh, I, I mentioned this as being the um, Pluto impels and compels whatever it touches with tremendous force. And if it's in major aspect to the, to the principle of, of, of change and rebellion, emancipation, uh, upsetting of old structures, the impulse for the new that Uranus represents, you get basically the, this uh, you know, approximately 12, 13 year period uh, much as in the 60s and in the early 70s, much as in the 1840s and 50s uh, under the last uh, conjunction during the height of the abolition movement and the beginnings of the uh, uh, women's suffrage movement and so forth, and much as during the uh, French Revolutionary Epoch, uh, 1787 to 1798, uh, just to name um, three of the most uh, iconic periods that had this particular Uranus and Pluto combination, that's been going on all this time, and uh, that the the feeling that we're we're living uh, under, you know, just with with a uh, tremendous uh, intensification of the impulse for change and reform and transformation uh, to bring forth the new, uh, to participate in uh, evolutionary and revolutionary change in one's one's life. Uh, it, it tends to activate artistic and scientific uh, creativity, tremendous technological advance. I mean, so much has happened technologically that we're just now accustomed to um, uh, that 
wasn't there at the beginning of this. I mean, we we were not all using um, smartphones. The uh, the the uh, social media uh, just became far more uh, prevalent, powerful from you know Facebook and uh, of course Instagram and so forth. Uh, the the uh, the drive for social justice reform and uh, e- you know equality and freedom and uh, ecological awareness. All these have been tremendously uh, pushed uh, into human consciousness and you know constellated with with great force as a kind of archetypal field that we we all participate in. This is kind of a zeitgeist that um, something's in the air. But the, all these. Uh, configurations also have very challenging um, elements to them as well, and like sudden the the intensification and acceleration of experience can be can be overwhelming. It can be uh, distressing. Um, uh, also, there can be an eruption of of uh, indiscriminate kind of compulsion to make radical changes and and subvert the uh, status quo and to just destroy structures, um, and also to be on the receiving end of these kinds of things. The impulse towards radicalization, which was such a, a, a characteristic of the 1960s, for example, or the French Revolution, we, this has clearly been in the ascendant over, over, this, last, um, over this last decade. And uh, in, in addition, the, the cultural iconoclasm, um, there's also an unleashing of the plutonic uh, id on a collective level. So you get more mob energies, uh, which can be when they're um, expressed in disciplined ways, as in the great uh, things like the, the great uh, women's march is after the Trump um, inauguration four years ago, uh, or uh, the so many of the Black Lives Matter um, uh, demonstrations, not only throughout the United States and in small towns and large ones, but across the world, um, uh, highly that kind of massive expression of uh, the the impulse for for uh, emancipation and and recognizing the dignity of, of all human beings. But the Plutonic uh, archetype has to do with this kind of Pluto-Hades, uh, um, Kali, um, Dionysian underworld energy that while it at one level can have the potential for great um, transformational regeneration, at another level has a real potential for, uh, you know, Upsurges of of you know vi- uh, violent uh, rage and um, or hatred or the projecting of deep shadow material onto onto others onto onto immigrants onto uh, people of another race or uh, or, or um, of, an, of another um, way of thinking and. Uh, this can unleash the will to power. Uh, there can be mass street movements that result in mob behavior that's, that's uh, violence, that creates uh, upheaval and, and, and chaos. Um, so, and, and also, 
this is another thing. You can see here the latter part of it um, during the Trump administration here. Um, when, um, what Trump brought in was to a great extent this kind of combination of the shadow side of both Pluto and Uranus. The, the, the shadow side of, of Pluto, <coughs> excuse me, was the was this kind of I don't know underworld mobster uh, energy and the and the plutocracy the 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 imposition of 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 power uh, in authoritarian ways and also the mm, evocation of uh, of the uh, kind of like the reptilian instinctual drives in large numbers of people and and liberating that. And the liberating quality comes from the Uranus uh, Prometheus archetype, which it, so it's liberating Pluto, which can be liberating the deep underworld into uh, the positions of power and then uh, giving permission for many things that were kept uh, in the shadows to be expressed openly, you know, know, racism and um, sexism and uh, uh, various forms of collective hatred and projection and splitting, etc. So uh, that's that's been um, part of the picture. I mean, both the, the that's the the multivalent quality of the the two archetypes involved have been in full fluorescence during this whole period. But what we knew was coming was that when Saturn would come into the conjunction to Pluto and square Uranus. I'm going to move over in a second to a uh, to show it in a um, circular form going around the uh, with the with the Earth at the center uh, so you can see where the planets are in geometrical alignment with each other with respect to the Earth, which is also moving. But as you can see here, just in terms of what what this graph uh, represents, which comes from um, the archetypal explorer.com uh, website, is that as it gets close to the uh, exact alignment, um, that's when it reaches its peak. And then you can you can see b- between 2012 and 2015, basically, the Uranus square Pluto was reaching exact alignment several times over that several year period. But it, it was within orb, what we call um, an orb, which is like the the, the number of degrees on each side of exact alignment where it is archetypally operative, you can see it approaching. Uh, it's, it's, it's already quite active through all these years. These are the, the Obama years, for example, where uh, even if everything that progressives might have wanted to have happen were not, was, was not necessarily happening, but just to have uh, an African-American at last in... Uh, in the White House, uh, African-American girls running around it as their home. Um, the, uh, the, the noble dimension of that. Uh, and then, of course, the, the empowerment of, of egalitarian um, impulses that was happening throughout the world in many Occupy movements and um, attempts to throw off uh, tyranny as in, in the Middle East, etc. So... All this has been going on, but then you can see uh, Saturn and 
coming onto conjunction with Pluto and square to Uranus during this period, right at the end of the Uranus square Pluto. Now, I just need to say two more quick things about these, uh, this, this graphic. One is that with world transits, even though you have this phenomenon of coming into exact alignment, it's peaking in its, in its uh, um, closeness, astronomical pre uh, exactitude to the 90 degree aspect to, uh, with each other, and then moving to you know, five degrees away from exact, seven, and then 10 degrees away from exact. Even though you've got this kind of bell curve, with world transits, something else happens that uh, different than with individual transits. And that is that um, we have the phenomenon of a kind of snowball effect because so many individuals and so many communities and, and movements have, in a sense, been, have started, have gotten the energy, have started carrying it forward, have started implementing uh, practices, policies, uh, actions that carry that energy that by the later part of the transit, and even as it's getting past uh, its, its 10 degree orb, um, even 10, 12 degree orb, it, it, it has a greater archetypal intensity and magnitude than at earlier times in the transit because it's, it started the snowball rolling. We see this in the 60s where in, in the early 60s, it comes into, into uh, orb, uh, the mid 60s, 65, 66, it's exact and indeed, the energy, the revolutionary impulses, uh, student movements, civil rights movements, um, women's movements, environmental movements, uh, African uh, independence movements, and, and so forth, right across the world, gay liberation. Uh, all those are, are, are cooking in the mid-60s, but even after it's exact into the late 60s, 68, 69, 70s, uh, there, there was even... The, the countercultural drives, think of like, for example, uh, Woodstock or think of um, the, the massive demonstrations in um, Paris in 68 or uh, Columbia or Berkeley and, and Harvard in 69 or uh, in Mexico City, Japan, Tokyo. Uh, it was even more powerful later. And that's because of this uh, snowball momentum that takes place. All right. And so... When we knew that Saturn was going to come into uh, alignment as well, then we saw that uh, Saturn brings in a great gr gravity, a heaviness, a, a weightiness, a, a quality of this becomes very serious. Consequences are very long-lasting. Um, uh, judgments are made. Uh, it's, a, it's a great contracting energy. And I'll, I'll unpack this more because each one has its own um, re, um, particular character. I want you to notice that there's a 15 degree orb for the, the conjunction while we keep to the more of a 10 degree orb for the square. Uh, the, the conjunction and opposition seem to have slightly larger orbs uh, and that's why um, it's defined in that way. But what we could see is that during this period where they're all kind of converging, um, and which we are uh, very much in, 
in the middle of, or in, I would say, the moving towards the second half of, that's a, um, that kind of energy is a, it's, it, we knew it was be like an eye of the needle, that everything that we had been going through, that had been building up, was now going to come to a kind of dramatic confrontation, uh, and also that the that the chickens were going to come home to roost. That's a classic Saturn Pluto thing, or the rubber is going to meet the road, or or the um, the reality principle is going to kick in with great great force. Uh, so that's that's one part of the picture. Now I also want to just show you one other thing, and here is. Here are the world transits. I'm just going to bring in uh, not only Pluto, that's this symbol here, and Saturn and Jupiter, which are in the, in the triple conjunction for all of 2020. But I brought in Mars because Mars has played a huge role over this last year, um, much more so than it usually does. And that's because it went through a long, uh, first because it conjoined this triple conjunction, uh, almost a year ago, and secondly, because it um, it went retrograde direct and uh, over a several month period during later 2020, it um, it it really made the um, it brought Mars as a triggering transit. So I want I'm wanting you to see now we're here are a year ago. So look at how. You've got this big triple conjunction of Saturn, Pluto, Jupiter. We talked a lot about that last year. That triple conjunction went all year uh, and squaring 90 degrees to Uranus. So this is a this is a what's called a hard aspect, a dynamic uh, aspect. Things happen under it. It 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 requires consciousness to take account of the um, eruption of the uh, archetypal energies and and deal with it and go through deepening or transformation uh, on pain of uh, fate taking over. You know, Jung often used to say, uh, what, we don't, um, what we don't confront consciously is going to happen to us as fate, uh, as if from outside of us, because it's part of the gestalt uh, and it's going to manifest itself uh, one way or another. And if we if we keep it in the unconscious, suppress it, deny it, ignore it, um, then that's when things tend to be constellated in such a way that they come at us from outside and we seem to be uh, the, um, on the receiving end or, or a victim. Now, as we move forward here, you can see a month later, um, Mars has come into uh, in, in, in March, it's coming into this triple conjunction and all through um, all through March and April, it is just, I'm just going to move it. This is moving day by day at a pretty quick pace. And you can just see how Mars has just gone right across all these. And that was last spring when Mars basically triggered the, the crisis that, uh, the triggered the, the action of this triple conjunction and square. Now, as the summer progresses, Mars start, keeps moving forward, but then something happens quite remarkable, and that is uh, when it gets to late Aries here, it starts to slow down 
uh, this is an apparent motion from the Earth, and, and then it uh, stations. And where did it station? It slowed down and stationed right in the square to this triple conjunction. Um, so it, when the 90 degree square happens after the conjunction, that's when things that were plant, you know, as it were planted the seeds in the, during the conjunction, now things take place, get, uh, come into concrete manifestation that usually involves a kind of crisis. Uh, a, um, an intensification of the energies that have to be dealt with. And all through the election season here in the United States, but also all through the world in terms of the um, state of the, uh, of the pandemic, it continued to be playing a huge role. So it, it, all this time it's retrograding. You can see it's maintaining the square to these, to these planets. And, and then it stations and goes direct. And um, notice that here, as we get into November and December, it starts to come onto the, it's still tight square to all these planets, but day after day, it starts moving into this conjunction with Uranus until January 6th. Uh, you've got the conjunction with, with Uranus, that Mars-Uranus is the most volatile, um, alignment you can get, especially when it's squaring Saturn and Jupiter and Pluto like that. Just uh, the Mars-Uranus energy, it's bold warrior energy at its best, courageous, breaking uh, past the boundaries uh, of, of constraint that are um, oppressive, etc. But the shadow side of it is, it's like this, it's like, um, Juvenile delinquency energy, the firebrand who who uh, uh, is 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 full of their own aggression and and breaks breaks the glass, breaks the uh, breaks in. Um, it's it's classic for what happened on January sixth and in the insurrection, particularly when it's got the, the the mob energy that is potential coming with the square to Pluto. Um, so I'm going to now come back to, but uh, I want to um, discuss with you now more about what each of these planetary um, archetypal complexes in coming together at this time with such force, with such a convergence, it's pretty rare when you get... Um, even th the three of those planets all in hard aspect at once, Saturn, Uranus, Pluto, um, even just two of those with Saturn and Pluto, those are, that's a very big deal. You, the last Saturn-Pluto opposition was, was 2001 to 2004 with 9-11, with the beginning of the so-called War on Terror, the invasion of, of Iraq and Af Afghanistan and, and all the... All the uh, horror and hardship that unfolded from that, from the first Cheney Bush uh, uh, term uh, and all the contractions of energies that took place then that were still, you know, that kind of security state uh, quality that ramped up at that time that is still with us. Um, that Saturn-Pluto cycle that we're in, again, this conjunction is a huge one, 2018 to 21, uh, uh, that we're, we're most of the way through now, 
but we've got this this year uh, still very much with us and much complexified and exacerbated by the fact that Uranus is in the picture uh, as well in the square and the fact that um, uh, therefore you've got Saturn square Uranus, which has its own dynamic, which I'll be unpacking in a second. Um, the Saturn-Pluto alignment you see with the cycle has been very important in terms of the Cold War. The conjunction of 1946 to 48, which was the conjunction two cycles ago, obviously was the time at the beginning of the of the Cold War, the the uh, erection of the Iron Curtain, um, the the great uh, enmity between the um, communist East and the uh, so-called free West, uh, and genuinely free in so many ways, but also as any. Um, African-American can tell you and many others, uh, hardly a paragon of, perf of uh, uh, emancipated uh, uh, perfection. Uh, nevertheless, uh, that Cold War energy, it, it comes into uh, full form there under in the 46 to 48 period. And when's the next conjunction? 1981 to 84, the, the, the first Reagan administration, which was the height of the Cold War. Those of you who were uh, politically engaged then will remember how much the, the, um, the threat of, the, of nuclear holocaust was, was so prominent that you know, millions around the world uh, marched uh, for nuclear disarmament because the, the, the nuclear missiles were poised at each other from the Soviet Union and uh, the United States. Reagan's calling the Soviet Union the evil empire. Uh, things are at a kind of max, maximum of danger and uh, mutually assured uh, destruction threats. And fortunately, there was a pulling back from the abyss, which many people were looking at that abyss. Uh, and Gorbachev came into uh, power in, in, the, uh, in the Soviet Union and um, many good things un unfolded and starting in the late 80s, all through the 90s, that great Uranus-Neptune conjunction that uh, had many, so, so many uh, positive expressions uh, as well as problematic ones, but that's not on our agenda tonight. Um, and, uh, and now we're at the, uh, another Saturn-Pluto conjunction and we again see the Cold War maxed out uh, of intense um, uh, enmity uh, b between a, uh, an assertive, aggressive um, uh, Russia, uh, also China, and, and the United States uh, in this kind of volatile unpredictability for the last four years and, and now another uh, moving into a, a new phase. Um, so my sense is, let me just address the pandemic for a second. My sense is that we're, we're uh, past the midway point, kind of like just past the midway point. If I'm looking at it just astronomically uh, and astrologically, we're, we're just past the midway point of this tremendous uh, eye of the needle crucible that we've been going through for the last couple of years that's, that, that is centered on the pandemic crisis. Um, the the you could say that the crisis is 
we have to always remember that the pandemic is one crisis that is, is like nested inside a series of other extraordinary uh, crises. The, the, the largest one being the, the great ecological crisis, the catastrophe of our time and the, um, uh, the uh, climate, um, climate crisis. But there's social justice um, crises that are happening around the world and in our own country. Um, there's the international uh, tensions and international, international peace issues. Um, all of these have their own kind of timing and their own, their own arc. Uh, but um, they're, they're all being uh, constellated right now to a kind of fever pitch. And this is a time when our actions have a great deal of uh, consequence. Um, I want to just say a few things I, that those of you who heard, heard this um, talk a year ago or nine months ago, uh, the, this earlier state of the world report, so to speak, from the point of view of the archetypal dynamics of our time, the world transits, the state of the collective zeitgeist. Uh, I want to just bring up a few points that I think are, are important I, I, uh, to, to mention uh, once again. Um, all of us who are looking at these invisible, these invisibles, you know, these, you know, the archetypal is both very tangible and yet at the same time, it's not like, uh, measuring, um, atoms or, 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 or billiard balls or, uh, uh temperatures and so forth. It's there, they are. The archetypal is a kind of, um, it's a kind of like a, it's spiritual and energetic at the same time. Um, and the whole evolution of the archetypal perspective from the time that they were, uh, the archetypes were experienced as gods and goddesses uh, or, or great kind of uh, powerful beings by uh, hunter-gatherer uh, tribal um, uh, traditions. And then, and then the gods and goddesses of the great archaic civilizations, uh, and going right up to the the the, uh, the great mythologies that in the Western tradition, uh, Greece and Rome bequeath us. But every um, civilization has has its uh, mythological background. Well, those those began became those archetypal mythic. Um, potencies, those essences of uh, particular qualities that have uh, that transcend the human, that uh, and yet inform the human, that that influence us, that come from within as well as without. Those became re-conceived uh, during the great philosophical revolutions of the axial period, uh, particularly in Greece, with with Plato, Pythagoras. Um, uh, Aristotle, Plotinus, and others, recognizing these uh, in terms of archetypes, which is where the term comes from, is from the, the Platonic tradition. Um, something is beautiful to the exact extent that it is participating in archetypal beauty in a, in a transcendent, um, absolute essence form of that quality. Same thing with justice, same thing with uh, Every, uh, all, all the different um, qualitative um, 
differentiations of human experience have archetypal uh, cores or hearts to them. Now, uh, that archetypal perspective gets kind of recovered in the last hundred years through the depth psychology tradition when first, uh, well, really, Nietzsche with his understanding of Apollo, Dionysus, and his very direct kind of non-ordinary states of consciousness that he could tap into that he wrote about. Um, he, he, in his descent into the deep psyche, uh, he kind of opens the way for depth psychology. Freud opens it further, brings in a scientific uh, um, dimension and, uh, uh, and aspiration. And he too, he brings forth as what Wittgenstein called a, 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 uh, a great mythology um, with uh, Eros and Thanatos, the, uh, the id, the, the ego, or the heroic ego. Uh, the hero archetype, the 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 superego, the the which um, is essentially Saturn, the Senex uh, principle, in in Jungian terms. But then it was Jung who really just wide open um, uh, brought us to a, f a fuller grasp of the archetypal pleroma, the whole the, the 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 great pantheon of many mythic uh, archetypal principles that are at work in. The, the collective psyche and then also in each individual psyche. Um, yeah, jo Joseph Campbell used to say that Freud, who is recognizing the unconscious um, and, and paying close attention to it and recognize that something deep is going on there, something of great significance and looking for, through dreams for how uh, and and you know religious uh, motifs and art and so forth for how symbolic uh, how how the unconscious was speaking symbolically to consciousness um, through those modes. Uh, but as Joseph Campbell used to say, uh, Freud was fishing, but he was sitting on a whale. And uh, in many ways, it was Jung who, who recognized the, the, the magnitude of, of, the, of the psyche, of soul, that it was, and that it was not just something inside us, inside the human cranium, but that we are in psyche, we are in soul. Uh, and as Jung's thought evolved, he came to recognize that this archetypal psyche informs the the. the the cosmos, the uh, all of nature, and uh, as well as the human being and the collective uh, human psyche, and um, this, and we call that the anima mundi, the soul of the world. Again, a term from from the Platonic tradition, although in in, in its Latin um, form. So uh, I remember, um, you know, Campbell would always say, "Myth, which is the." Um, narrative form of, of, of the archetypes, you'd um, say, it would not be too much to say that myth is the secret opening through which the cosmos pours its inexhaustible energies through uh, into human cultural manifestation. See, he's pointing to the cosmos pouring its archetypal energies into human manifest cultural manifestation uh, using myths, for example, using dreams, using religious experiences and, and, and uh, um, uh, mythologies, 
uh, and also uh, coming in very powerful non-ordinary states of consciousness through sacred medicine journeys and, and so forth, meditations. But the uh, uh, Ira Progoff, a, a, a Jungian, once said, the, the, the archetypes are mediators between the individual and the cosmos. And uh, that's, that's right on. That's very telling. And um, I think what, what our research points to is the extent to which the cosmos not only is informed by the archetypal, but in some sense it has permitted us a kind of, um, it's, it's permitted us a kind of um, sign, a signal of what, uh, what archetypes are being constellated at what time and in what relationship to each other. Uh, Plotinus talked about the, reason, the way astrology works is that it's as if the heavens seem to be a kind of script that the uh, that the soul of the world is 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 um, uh, writing, and uh, that the reason that the movements of the planets and as as well as many other aspects of of nature and the cosmos have meaning is that meaning pervades everything and goes all the way down. It's not just like meaningless matter and then human beings and complex brains come along and suddenly meaning gets created ex nihilo out of the blue, um, out of nothing. Meaning and sentience and consciousness goes all the way down in f some form or other awareness. Uh, we're, we're in a panpsychic universe. But even beyond that, this panpsychic universe seems to be uh, capable uh, through this great, uh, as Plotinus said, everything's interconnected and everything is interdependent and everything is breathing together so that uh, the movements of the, of the macrocosm of, uh, is in some way um, precisely correlated with the movements of the archetypal dynamics of, of human life. And that gives us a great... Um, insight into into what what's what uh, what gods are at work and are at play at a given time and how we can participate more intelligently and not get carried for a ride uh, in in quite potentially destructive shadow forms of those same of those same uh, essences those same very powerful principles I think um, a, as human beings we're always, seeing through our, the narrow chink in our, in, in our uh, cave, you know, we, we, we see through a glass darkly, but we do seem to have a glass, uh, uh, an archetypal telescope, as it were, that, that does give us remarkable glimpses into the deeper forces and fields that are constellated right now and, and the timing of their unfolding. Um, now these, uh, um, archetypal, these planetary alignments that I've been talking about and that I'm going to explicate uh, a bit more in a second, I just want to emphasize that um, I don't believe that these are uh, causing human affairs to take a certain form in some linear mechanistic uh, uh, manner that is 
built on the model of of uh, you know billiard balls hitting each other or gravity uh, uh, <clears throat> pulling um, heavy objects to the to, uh, down to the earth or uh, electromagnetic radiation or something like that. the The evidence is way too um, uh, multi-dimensional. Uh, it, it's too um, many splendored in its in its meanings. There's a creativity to it. It seems to respond to human uh, participation in a way that that suggests a very you know a, a sentient uh, uh, response of being in the same way that uh, our indigenous uh, brothers and sisters are able to look around at nature and have a sense of, uh, of the, which they, are, they feel in, in, embedded in and have a sense of this kind of continual communication from, from the world around them as being in a sense part of their kinship, uh, 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 kindred beings, not these non-human objects that lack uh, any um, uh, consciousness or 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 claim on our moral attention, just the contrary. Well, that that sense of being embedded in a world of meaning and communications, and that's uh, that's pregnant with significance, and and uh, is in some sense um, providing us with signs of of the, the unfolding qualitative meaning uh, that is shaping our reality. That's something that most societies have lived with, uh, most peoples have lived with in the history of humanity since, since uh, time immemorial. But it's modern humanity that is the one that is uh, waking up to the fact that we are in uh, a, an ensouled universe, and that are treating it as a soulless, purposeless, meaningless uh, universe and uh, non-human nature that is just somehow subject to our exploitation uh, is, is to an enormous extent the, the, the cause of the, the catastrophe that we're in and the same objectifying that happens with respect to uh, nature um, by the modern human is also a kind of objectification that happens with respect to each other, um, to, to uh, other human beings. And um, what seems to be emerging in this time of, you know, what I would regard as a kind of initiatory crisis that many of us uh, see as a great rite of passage in a sense for humanity to die to its old identity and wake up to be born into a um, a flourishing kinship with with the rest of the earth community and and with this cosmos that somehow cares miraculously enough to have the movements of the planets around our moving earth um, be uh, meaningful to us uh, and carrying archetypal significance. Uh, it, it's it's a kind of bathing of of us and our our our, 
our planet and each of our individual lives and each moment in our lives and each epoch such we're going through right now, it's bathing us with meanings and purposes that are so helpful for, uh, it gives us a, an orientation, a, a frame of reference to live our lives with greater um, sense of, uh, of, of grounding uh, and um, knowing which way the wind is blowing uh, and being more skillful sailors on, on, on the seas of this life. Um, and so this is much more of a synchronous correlation, uh, not mechanistic causality. And, the, and these planetary archetypes don't have just one meaning that just comes through in one way. They've got a spectrum of possible meanings, which I've been uh, trying to uh, kind of share with you here. And um, our participation in these will affect the, the, um, the outcome and also the future that will, will unfold. Now, let me say a few things about... Uh, the Saturn Uranus, which I've, I've, which has really kicked in this year. It already was coming in last year, but it's coming in with uh, considerable force uh, right now. It's um, so tight, as you could see in the in the um, the diagram that I was showing you. So Saturn and Uranus has it's it's a it's basically a, a synthesis or a clash between the the principles of um, change, freedom, the new, uh, and uh, uh, the liberatory, um, and then on the other side, the status quo, or the old, but also the wise structures, uh, prudent restraint, um, uh, the noble side of tradition, as well as the oppressive side of tradition. All those are possible with with, with Saturn. And you get those two together and it tends to be, um, it's a, it can be a tense energy. It's, you know, if I were to step back and think about where we were last year, the, the Saturn-Pluto conjunction had fully kicked in that weighty sense of like, oh man, we're locked into, this is, this is very grave. Everything that Saturn represents is going to be catalyzed with volcanic intensity, uh, things like being a, separated from each other, being alone, face, facing uh, isolation, facing m disease, mortality uh, on a collective level, um, dealing with great constraints, dealing with loss, with, with loss of resources, um, loss of jobs, impoverishment, uh, deprivation, um, all those hard things about Saturn. I mean, oh, that one could see that coming with Saturn-Pluto, even at the same time that Saturn-Pluto also gives this potential for great um, kind of courageous facing of the hardest aspects of existence and bringing one's kind of steely determination and backbone and uh, effort uh, to push the 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 Sisyphusian boulder up the mountain, even, however hard it is, that Saturn Pluto that we've all been going through here for the last year, that feeling of almost being locked in cement at times, and things are going just so 
so slowly, the, the, the progress is so minimal, if at all, at times. And then at the same time, you've got this um, uh, Uranus-Pluto energy, which is just hyper-activated uh, the, the rapidity of change, the, the acceleration of change. And, the, and the, you, you, you bring those two together, and Saturn squaring Uranus, you've got this um, kind of con crisis of contradictory energies or opposing uh, energies hitting each other. And there, there can be, uh, so it's a, it's a defiance of a lot of ways of, of bringing out this uh, Saturn-Uranus. First of all, I wanna just say, while last year had more that sense of being locked into a very slow-moving, grave situation that was going to take so much hard work to deal with and so much discipline and, and uh, courage, et cetera. We still got that in the picture, but as Saturn-Pluto moves out of uh, orb and gradually in the course of this year towards next year, Saturn-Uranus is fully uh, engaged and that's a more that's a more volatile energy. So, I, and one reason when I was asked by the uh, public programs to do this talk, um, I, I, you know, uh, sometime uh, around early this year, I said, let's wait till after January and do it in early February. One, because I wanted to, we, we needed to be able to integrate who, you know, the, the, the election, the, the inauguration, but I particularly looking at January, um, it was so clear what an hyper volatile month this was going to be. And I, um, uh, Mars was going right across that Uranus. Uh, the, the, the insurrection just was like the uh, kind of like the worst nightmare realization of the shadow potential of what these um, configurations were about. The kind of the eruption of the of of the mob uh, mentality, um, the 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 inflation of it, the uh, depredations of it, and then you've got the uh, you've got the two weeks later with the inauguration. Uh, things have shifted, uh, evolved a bit more. Um, a lot of the energies are still fully engaged, but it just uh, much more um, uh, benign, uh, life-enhancing, um, aspirational potentials got uh, activated during that time. And those of you who saw the um, inauguration uh, all the way through, starting actually with the, with the uh, profound memorial service the night before, for all the COVID uh, uh, victims at the, uh, and, and then the, the ending on the inauguration night with the great Lincoln Memorial concert, um, all the musicians, the poets, the dancers, the celebration of diversity and creativity and the possibility of living together in a, um, in a, uh, uh, a not just with tolerance, but with uh, gratitude and appreciation for all the differences and the and the and the sheer explosive creativity that came through. Um, all these, it's as if we've gone through a near-death experience for our 
very imperfect democracy on January 6th. And uh, in a sense, everything that uh, could have been lost was then experienced during Inauguration Day with a new preciousness. You think of um, Amanda Gorman's incredible um, uh, poetic performance or, or Lady Gaga, you know, her, her fist, uh, the flag is still there in that noble, in that noble way, or, or the, the, um, the very moving uh, rendering of, by, at the very beginning of the celebrating of America that night by Bruce Springsteen of Land of Hope and Dreams, just him in the cold at the Lincoln Memorial with just his guitar and singing this song this person that's been so politically engaged and is uh, over the years and and to just carry that 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 aspiration that hope that this land of hope and dreams many many people uh, feel that around the world and this country is carrying something precious as well as um, deeply uh, a, a great shadow that it's had to see more vividly than ever before in in this last several years and in this last month in particular. So we're really going through such a, um, such a great uh, transformational crucible at this point. Let me say a quick number of things here. There's a few uh, essentials that should be gotten across. The Saturn-Uranus energy is a very, can be uh, an energy in which uh, if that ideally what you want to do is to be making wise, this is the time for making creative uh, structural change, reconfiguration of structures in order to uh, uh, permit uh, wiser living, greater uh, uh, freedom um, for all, uh, not freedom just for, for whites or, or white males or, or white males without a clue, um, but, but, but uh, freedom for all. Uh, also, um, te technological um, reconfiguring is very important with this uh, Saturn-Uranus. See, Uranus has so much to do with technology, uh, and Saturn can bring in technological problems, glitches. Uh, we've already seen it. You know, the the great the uh, uh, can, can even happen with like more airline uh, issues, even like pilot error has been a big issue in the last month. They've been um, tracking it because pilots are out of, haven't been doing as much and they've, it's been noted. But I'm thinking of um, the, the larger need to bring in wise um, structures, wisely conceived structures that um, take care of, that help our Iranian Promethean technological social media, Facebook, uh, and um, the uh, uh, other other forms of, of the social media, also the the uh, the internet, um, uh, also governmental, um, you know, like security breaches and things like that. All these have to be addressed with with. Uh, this is a very good time for doing that. The problem um, with Saturn-Uranus is that if one doesn't make uh, 
prudent or wise, uh, intelligent, skillful, uh, incremental changes within otherwise uh, val valuable structures that ha are, are ne nevertheless flawed. If you don't do that, then great breakages, sudden collapses of structures tend to happen. This is also true in relationships. Um, uh, Saturn Uranus is a, it's a, it's a sudden break energy. It's a disruptive energy. It's a divorcing energy. Um, uh, I, I mean, and, and so they're, they're, you know, I think of all the people who have been kind of pressed into the same household, uh, and there needs to be a lot of relational, um, work, uh, in order to, uh, bring forth the, the, the best possibilities out of this uh, Saturn-Uranus period. Um, at its very best, the overall movement of Saturn and Uranus is a kind of conjunction of a, a sacred marriage of the past and the future. And we are the crucible of it. And if we can somehow carry what is most valuable of the past and discern what is most uh, promising from the future, and then bring these into uh, concrete, structural, um, practical form in our laws, in our, in our uh, legal institutions, and, and uh, justice system, and prison system, and uh, in the market, in the, uh, um, the financial uh, sector, uh, and in international relations and so forth. It's, it, this is a really, really crucial period. I apologize a little bit to those from outside of the United States who, uh, you know, where I'm gonna say something about the US chart and transits now, but unfortunately, uh, the United States is a kind of elephant in the room. I mean, fortunately, in some ways, unfortunately, uh, particularly in, in recent times, um, it's, it plays an outsized role. And the United States has been going through its Pluto return during these years. And it's, uh, it's a huge, it's a, this kind of pinpoints our country as a, as a potential ground zero for destruction and transformation, uh, and hopefully some kind of regeneration and rebirth during this decade. Um, and the amount of sh the shadow side of our country that has surfaced, you know, through the Trump catastrophe and and the Black Lives Matter uh, protests and revelations of of uh, of how we have been um, how white supremacy uh, has infected our our nation for, uh, from its beginnings. Um, the uh, this deep confrontation with shadow is crucial to our, our, our psycho-spiritual, our moral transformation as a country. Uh, and in, in these next couple of years, that Pluto return is going to be, is going to be uh, coming to exact alignment. But one of the things I didn't mention last time, but we can see coming, is that as starting in a, a couple of years, 2023, Uranus is going to trine Pluto in the sky for everybody, uh, the whole world, 
moving, it's moving out of that square and it's right at the cusp now of moving into the more harmonious relationship to uh, each other, the trine, the 120 degree alignment, and that that's going to last all through the 2020s. Um, the rest of the 2020s, starting about 2023, but stronger and stronger, four, five, six, seven. Uh, and in 2028, uh, Jupiter is going to, Jupiter and Uranus and Pluto are going to form a grand trine in the sky for everybody. Very promising for a more um, confluent uh, unfolding of the uh, of evolutionary change and emancipatory transformation. Uh, in a, and in addition, what's remarkable is that this is going to happen in the United States chart at the same time as we get our Uranus return. Our first Uranus return, you know, the 1776 chart uh, is, is when we're, we're born, uh, July 4th. And then the first Uranus return takes place uh, with the civil war and the uh, emancipation of enslaved peoples in, in our, in our uh, society. Uh, and then still the long, long process uh, of realizing that more fully. Anyway, we are right now approaching our, what's our, this is going to be our third Uranus return. Well, it's our first Pluto return because that's a 248 year cycle. We're born with Uranus trine Pluto. That's it's, it's one of the best parts of the United States uh, chart. And Uranus and Pluto are going to be right on their natal positions uh, as the 2020s progress. I, I'm saying all this because uh, my sense is we still are in the full throes of, of a great uh, crisis, but the whole world is going to experience some uh, I think alleviating of these tension-producing and crisis-constellating uh, energies, and move into the potential of of a great um, uh, of a more uh, flowing, harmonious um, interaction between these great gods and goddesses, these archetypal principles, and within ourselves. And, uh, and the U.S. will be getting its own version of it. I think we ha have gone through um, a, a great, uh, I don't have to say to this to anybody, we've obviously gone through a, a great crisis in this country and continue to uh, in this world as well. Um, and the climate crisis is going to take more and more uh, focus. It'll require it. We'll be more and more aware of it as each year goes by. But the more we can see that, uh, I mean, at last, some sanity and competence and compassion are in the White House. Uh, what, a, what a difference. It brings some grounds for um, not moving in the exactly opposite direction of what would be uh, best for our, for our planetary community. Let me just end with, uh, with one last thought I had uh, over the weekend, I was reading during my uh, non-existent uh, spare time, actually, well, while eating lunch, I was, I was reading a, an article um, that is an excerpt from uh, 
a new book that's coming out by, by Dorothy Wickenden. Uh, the name of the book is, is called The Agitators, um, Three Friends Who Fought for Abolition and Women's Rights. And it's, uh, the, the, the excerpt was published in the, in the New Yorker uh, a week or two, two ago. Uh, and it's about um, remarkable women, uh, three or four in particular, uh, Frances Seward is one, um, the, the, the wife of the, um, uh, I think it's Henry Seward, who was uh, part of the Lincoln cabinet and who had been a long uh, anti-slavery uh, uh, proponent. But his wife, uh, Frances, <clears throat> was really something. Uh, as It's worth reading this New Yorker article if you, if, if you care to. Uh, and then Harriet Tubman is another one who is playing a role in this, and they're all interconnected with what they're doing. The reason I'm bringing them up is, besides the fact that we are in a kind of spiral moment where we're having to reconnect to that whole period in, in uh, American history that has come to the surface like a long-suppressed, uh, long-denied um, shadow that uh, needs to uh, move to a new birth of freedom, to use uh, Lincoln's term. Uh, uh, the reason I bring th that particular narrative up with those particular women is that as you're reading about them and you realize, I said, you feel like what constraints they're working on. Even, even these white um, women uh, of, of some means, um, the constraints of patriarchy that were so uh, mind maddeningly frustrating, not being able to uh, have one's own autonomy in so many ways uh, and, and not have a vote, etc. And then Harriet Tubman, who is a slave and, and, and a black uh, African-American who frees herself from her slavery herself and then courageously over and over again goes down into the danger and, and, and frees more and more people up. Uh, what these women were doing, I, I, I'm going to try to describe what, why I'm so, I mean, it's so moving anyway to, for anybody to read, I think. But the, what I was particularly getting into uh, about it was that in their lifetime, they didn't necessarily see everything I mean, they were seeing great things happen, but they didn't see everything that they wanted and needed to happen. And they were doing it under unbelievable constraints. All of us are working under extraordinary constraints right now, whether it's from the pandemic or whether it's because we don't have our fingers on the levers of power or because we're dealing with voter suppression um, or uh, uh, watching helplessly as, as um, predatory corporations uh, exploit and extract from the, our, our, our natural uh, worlds in such a way that has such horrific consequences. All of us are working against great constraints. Um, and yet, how noble w those women were, and they will go down in eternity for the nobility of what they um, what they did and the courage that they brought to their tasks, and and that's what we're being asked to do. Um, those of us who are who are elders, you know, 
in our 70s, 80s, 90s even, um, we're, you know, we're, we're in our final stage of, you know, our, our, our last act of like act three or whatever. Um, uh, those of you who are younger, you have so much in, um, in front of you to be able to, to take, I mean, we, we who are my age need to do what we can do and impart what we can impart in the time that's remaining to us. We didn't choose, at least in any conscious way, to live in such a, um, a time of, of crisis, of turmoil, of uh, uh, unpropitious circumstances. But uh, that's not up to us. Uh, as Tolkien says, um, none of us want to be born to such a period, but having been born into such a period, it's what we do with it that counts. And um, I think we're, 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 we're shaping our own souls and the collective soul of humanity right now with what we're doing. And no matter what happens, um, no matter what uh, emerges out of this great crisis, including the, the, the climate crisis and, the, and the, 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 the species extinction, and even, even if no human being uh, manages to, if we as a species don't manage to survive the, the century, as some believe, um, or a civilization doesn't survive, etc., something has entered into the whole. Everything that you do and say and feel uh, is, is, will not be lost. It's, it's, it's forging. It's going into the soul of the universe, and it, and it will continue. It will go on in new forms that you, that you don't, we don't um, know how they'll unfold. So, uh, sorry to be bit on the uh, emotional side, but um, I think we're all aware of what uh, a time we're in. And uh, we really want to bring our, our, our full game to it and do our, our very best and work together, call on the energies of others when our, our own energies uh, are flagging. Um, and uh, I have great, I personally have great, great hope for the future. Um, I don't know what form it'll take. But I have great trust and faith in this cosmos that we're in, in this magnificent Earth community that we're part of, and that has, uh, and and in the in the great human experiment that has uh, brought forth everyone who's alive today uh, for a reason. And uh, I wish you all the very best. Okay. Thanks for, thanks for listening with me uh, this evening. Thank you for listening to the CIIS Public Programs podcast. Our talks and conversations are presented live in San Francisco, California. We recognize that our university's building in San Francisco occupies traditional, unceded Ramatush Ohlone lands. If you are interested in learning more about Native lands, languages, and territories, the website native-land.ca 
is a helpful resource for you to learn about and acknowledge the land where you live. Podcast production is supervised by Kirsten Van Cleef at CIIS Public Programs. Audio production is supervised by Lyle Barrere at Desired Effect. The CIIS Public Programs team includes Kyle DiMedio, Alex Elliott, Emlyn Guinea, Jason MacArthur, and Patty Fork. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe wherever you find podcasts, visit our website, ciis.edu, and connect with us on social media at CIIS Pub Programs. CIIS Public Programs commits to use our in-person and online platforms to uplift the stories and teachings of Black, Indigenous, and other people of color, those in the LGBTQIA community, and all those whose lives emerge from the intersections of multiple identities.